Turn with me to John chapter 7. And let me ask you a question to start us off this morning. Have you ever been in a place where you questioned with what you were doing was actually the will of God? Have you ever been in a place where you're walking through a season and you're like, I think this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm not real sure. And so you, you step forward, but you step hesitantly. Um, this is kind of like when I walk through Jackson's room to wake him up in the morning, Legos everywhere. The kid is all about Legos. And you step carefully because you don't know where the Lego might be. Most mornings I make it successfully to be like, Jackson, wake up. Other mornings he's woken up suddenly by the sound of my voice as I, ah! Um, he took a nap yesterday after the cross-country meet, and he woke up about 7 p.m., and I said, Jackson, wake up. He's like, huh? I was like, we got to get ready for church. And so for the next 30 minutes or so, we had him convinced. He got up, fixed his hair, brushed his teeth, and uh, it was Saturday night. Poor guy. It was wrong. It was completely wrong. What's wrong is the whole family was in on it. Um, and Stephanie tried to tell him, they're just playing with you. And he was like, he'd walk outside. I'm pretty sure it's getting lighter out here. I think it's morning. Um, no, Jackson, it's not. And he finally realized he slept so long yesterday afternoon, though, that then he couldn't sleep through the night. Um, so then I, this morning I found him on the couch. Like, what are you doing on the couch? He said, I just couldn't sleep. And I was like, I didn't have to go in there in the Legos. But isn't that kind of the why, reason why we tread lightly sometimes? Like, I don't know, God, if this is your will. I don't know if I'm supposed to be doing this. And so we walk slowly because we don't want to step in the wrong way. We don't want to go on the wrong path because it could be painful. It could be rough. It could hurt us. And so we're going to look at Jesus as the example of how to walk through our situations in life. And what I'm hoping to do this morning is by looking at the way Jesus walked to foster some confidence ourselves, not in us. How many know our confidence never comes from ourselves, right? It all comes from the Lord. But to foster some confidence in us as we look at the life of Jesus that we can walk forward knowing that we're walking in a way that the Lord is pleased with. So we're going to be looking in John chapter 7, and I have four main points. It's about believing, timing, the will of God, and the glory of God. Those are my four points today, and we'll walk through this. John chapter 7, it says, after this, everyone say after this. Now, uh, hold the phone. All right, so we're crawling through John here, and we have to stop after two words. This after this is like, uh, insert SpongeBob meme here, seven months later, right? Some the older crowd's like, what are we talking about? All these guys got it, right? Um, seven months later, like we just, Jesus just did the miracle of loaves and fishes, right? That was during Passover, in fact, that's the second Passover mentioned in the book of John. The first Passover was earlier at the beginning of John. Now, at the second Passover, Jesus taking bread and, and feeding it to 5,000, probably 25,000 people. Then he walks on the water, and then people show up, and they reject him because he's saying, actually, you need to eat my, blood, or eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he's like, people are like, that's weird. We don't want any part of that. So the crowds leave. And that's the last story. That was during Passover. Now, it says after this, John is skipping a lot of stuff. He's skipping about six or seven months worth of stuff. What was Jesus doing this whole time? Well, actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us. If you go back and read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which you can do it another time, um, it'll fill in all these gaps. But what is he doing? It says this. It says Jesus went about in Galilee. So where's Galilee? Now, some of you hate geography, but Israel's pretty simple. you got Judea here in the south, Samaria here in the middle, and Galilee up in the north, right? And so Jesus is 
staying away from Jerusalem, which is down in the south in Judea. And no one likes to go through Samaria because those are the half Jews are. They didn't like them. So he's hanging out here up in Galilee. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can find out some of the things he was doing around Galilee. What do you think he was doing? Well, he was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing the sick all over the place. It says he would not go down, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. You guys remember that story from a few weeks ago? Remember he healed a guy on Sunday, on the Sabbath. Well, it was Saturday, Shabbat is what they called it. He healed a guy on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, when they were supposed to be resting. You can't do nice things for people when you're supposed to be resting. It was their abide season, right? It's their abide day. You can't heal somebody. And it made them mad that he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and then he made himself equal with God. That's what he started saying. I'm equal with God. And they're like, you can't say that. And so they wanted to kill him. Verse 2 says, now the Jews' feast of the booths was at hand. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the feast of the booths? How many have ever studied the feast of the booths? How many never heard of the feast of the booths a day in your life? Like, what are we talking about, right? What's crazy is the feast of the booths would have been an annual part of Jesus' life all growing up and one of the most exciting times of the year. Think of like the way kids get about Christmas here. Like that was the Feast of the Booths there. Actually, another name for it is your translation might say the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, I have bad news for you if you grew up amongst our church. Um, the word tabernacle's kind of been ruined for you a little bit. Uh, you probably grew up at our campground. In our campground, we have this brick building we call the tabernacle, right? And so to us, it's this permanent place where we go to seek God every summer, and it's faithful, and it's always there, and we call it a tabernacle. That is definitely not what a tabernacle is. That's, that's a bad name for that building, but we affectionately refer to it as a tabernacle. A tabernacle or a booth is like a temporary structure you set up. You get a few poles put some sticks across the top, maybe throw some limbs up there, and that's a booth. That's a tabernacle. Think like a kid's lemonade stand almost, like something crude, something not so well put together. And they had this festival every year that lasts seven days from the Sabbath to the Sabbath, so eight days, um, and it was called the Feast of the Booths. And this is what they would do. They would build a booth, Every family would build a booth, and then for the week, they would spend the week in the booth. They would camp out. It was a week of camping out. Now, us today in our American culture, and we love our air conditioning, we'd be like, oh, man, this could be rough. They didn't have air conditioning, right? Kids back then loved the Feast of the Booth, because guess what it was? It was a week of camping out with Dad and mom, and grandma, and grandpa, and coming together. And historians tell us it was one of the most joyous times of the year. And the temple area, which was about 35 acres in size, they would light lamps all through the week during the night. And all the houses would light lamps. So if you were around the city of Jerusalem during the Feast of the Booths, the whole city would be aglow, which was unusual in a, in a town with no electricity, right? The whole, you could just, they said... The light would touch every doorway of the city. That would be really neat in a place that's usually very dark at night with no electricity. And so for these families who maybe lived in the city, they would build their booths on top of their house. If you lived in a small, more rural place, you might build it outside the town. And you'd go out there and you'd spend a week just eating, having fun. It was their Christmas, if you will, spending time with family. They would tell stories there was one requirement, though, is that when you built the booth, it had to be when you were laying in it that you could see the stars up above. And the whole point was to remind them of something. The whole point of this festival was to remind them of the time when they came out of Egypt. Remember, they were living in Egypt as slaves. And they came out of Egypt. They were no longer slaves, but they still didn't have a home. They still didn't have a city to live in. And so 
all of Israel was wandering through the desert. And as they were wandering through the desert, God was providing for them. Right? He'd provide quail and he'd provide manna. He provided water from a rock. And they would do things throughout the week to symbolize these things that God had done for them while they were sojourners, while they were wandering through the wilderness. And God just provided for them the whole time. And so this whole time that they were spending times in these booths outside the city or on the roofs or whatever and camping out, the dads and the granddads and the uncles were telling stories about the times that they were wandering in the wilderness and God was faithful and met our needs. To remember the origins and remember where they came from. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, it's important to remember where you came from. It's, to remember, it's important to remember what God has done for you. And as I was reading this again, this week, I was like, that'd be really cool if we could have something like this at Forerunner where we'd all go and camp out one night just to remember what God had done. And then I thought, some people wouldn't like that much. They'd pull up with their camper trailer, ready to camp out, remember what God has done. I'm like, well, okay. You know, but, but to truly know, to sit there at night in your booth and look up, through the branches and see the stars and realize these are the same stars that the men and women of God before me looked up at at night and God provided for them and God will provide for me. So that's the feast of the booth and it's interesting to me that like this would have been one of the most exciting parts of Jesus' life every year is this feast of camping out. And uh, if you've ever seen the show The Chosen, they actually demonstrate this in one of those episodes and you should definitely watch that. It's, it's a very um, insightful show. Um, it says, so the brothers, now this is one of three pilgrimages in the year that the people would go to Jerusalem. They go there for Passover, they go there for feasts of booths. It says, so the brothers, this is the brothers of Jesus, his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, it sounds like his brothers are saying a good thing here. Jesus, you should go to the Feast of the Booths down in Judea and show everybody who you are, because if you're doing these great things, everyone should see you. But read the next line. For not even his brothers believed in him. Yeah, they're not saying this out of kindness. They're saying this out of, yeah, if you really are who you say you are, you should go show yourself to the world. And, and we don't know exactly their full intent. Maybe it was that they were kind of halfway believing in him and they were like, why don't you, if you're who you say you are, won't you go show yourself to everybody? Another thing could be they completely just had no regard for him at all, and they were just mocking him. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your older brother? Did, did you know Jesus had siblings? Some of you might, might not have. Can you imagine? I mean, how many of you sometimes can't stand your siblings now? But imagine an older brother that everything he does is perfect. Talk about mom's favorite. And, and technically, these would be Jesus' half-brothers. These, the, these brothers are the sons of Mary and Joseph. And Jesus was, when Jesus was born, Mary had not yet known a man. So these are technically Jesus' half-brothers, but they don't like him. And they don't believe in him. And this causes problems. And this is my first point of having confidence is believing in Jesus. Believing in Jesus and believing that God has a plan that's outside the opinions of others. Imagine if Jesus was so concerned about the opinions of others that he did what they wanted. Jesus didn't let the opinions of his brothers sway him on what God's plan was for his life. It's important to note the voices that are, you let speak into your life. 
And it's important to know sometimes you have to set boundaries on those voices. And this is one reason why teenagers' parents are so concerned with your social media use. Because you're on social media scrolling through story after story, and these people, whether you realize it or not, they're speaking things to you. And if you're not actively thinking about it, you're letting it influence who you are. Like, no, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, you are. Adults... Do even passive voices in our life affect the way we think over time? Adults? Yes. So should we be careful what we, let we, what we let in our eyes and what we let in our ears? Yes. And so young people, I, I implore you, be careful. If your parents let you have social media, be careful what you let come in. And adults, the same goes for you. Because so, adults, what we let get in our eyes and ears is what Fox News is telling us. And that becomes our narrative. We shouldn't let it be the thing that guides our decisions. The only thing that should guide our decisions is the Lord. So that's my my first point is, who are you believing in? Who are you believing in? Are you believing in the Lord? Are you believing in Jesus? Are you believing in outside voices all the time? What's encouraging to me, and and what, as I read this, it it, it broke me down. Um, It says in Matthew Chapter 13, verse 53, I'll just read it. It says, and Jesus had finished these parables. He went away from there, and this is a different time. And coming to his hometown, his hometown where his brothers lived, he taught them in their synagogue that they were astonished. And this is what they said. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't this just Jesus? Is, this, is, is his mother not called Mary? Is, are his brothers not James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And just so you know, it's not Judas the one that would betray Jesus. Sometimes this Judas was called Jude, which we'll talk about in a moment. Aren't these his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at Jesus. They took offense at him. Why? Because they knew him all too well. I think the greatest thing we can do is raise our kids in church. But sometimes kids who are raised around church are almost inoculated to it. They're inoculated to the power of God. You can grow up around greatness and not realize. And students, look at me. If you're a teenager in this place, look at me. You can grow up in church and be around a move of God every week, and you will totally miss God if you're not careful because it's common to you. We went to see Mount Rushmore a few summers ago, and we looked at it and we're like, wow, that's incredible. I talked to a local that lived in the town next to it, and they're like, mm. yeah, I've been 20, 30 times. Mm. It wasn't amazing to them. Why? They saw it all the time, Right? You meet people like, oh, man, you guys live next to Eureka Springs. Wow, that place is amazing, just so beautiful. And we're just like, yeah, we might hit it up on a date night or something, you know? Like, it's good. It's all right. You don't realize you're around something great. If you're around it all the time too much, you can almost become inoculated to it where it doesn't affect you anymore. And what all of us have to be careful in this room who are in church faithfully every Sunday is that when God starts to move, that we're sensitive enough to his moving that we actually move as he moves. I'm like, oh, that's just another Sunday. Oh, that's just, that's just another prophetic word. Oh, that's just, that's just them doing their thing. No, what if it's God trying to get a hold of your heart? It says they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, in his own household. And it says he was not able to do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Another thing in Mark, it says, he wasn't able to do many mighty works there except heal a few people because of their unbelief. Like, like all he could do was heal a few people. Like, that wouldn't be a mighty work. I was just like, oh, my goodness. We need to change our paradigm. What encourages me is when I read James Because James was one of the brothers of Jesus. And 
even though it says here his brothers did not believe in him, James would eventually come to believe in him, which is encouraging to us, right? Like, how many times are men and women of the Bible, they start in a place of unbelief, but then they move in? Can you imagine being James, growing up around perfect Jesus? Can you imagine the conversations he and his brothers had sometimes about Jesus behind his back? There he is, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. My mom likes him best. Oh, you should honor the Lord. Like, mocking him all the time behind his back. They didn't believe him. They're mocking him here in this story to his face. Why don't you go down and show who you are, Messiah? Right? And they were looking for a political Messiah. But something happens to James. This, what I'm about to read, was written about 15 years, maybe-ish, after Jesus' death and resurrection. And James, the brother of Jesus, he writes this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. His identity had changed. And notice he doesn't say, hey, I'm the brother of Jesus. I'm the brother of Jesus. You should listen to me. No, he says, I'm a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Something has changed in James where it's not like, oh, there's Jesus too. Jesus is Lord, this guy I used to make fun of and ridicule as a kid, now he is my Lord and I serve him. And Jude does the same thing. Jude, when you read the beginning of Jude, which is another brother of Jesus who, it says Judas in the other thing, but he goes by Jude and he says that he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, and brother of James. He doesn't say, and brother of Jesus. He's like, I'm, I'm too humble to claim anything but servanthood to Jesus Christ. I will not say Jesus was my brother because then that's all about me. Rather, I will say Jesus is Lord and I'm brother to James. And together we serve Jesus. For not even his brothers believed in him. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. Say time. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you because it hates, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up, or actually a better translation would be, I am not now going up to the feast. For my time, say time, has not fully come. And after this, he remained in Galilee. We, we get so concerned about time. And what I love here is Jesus didn't let the opinions of others affect the timing of God. This word time in the Greek is the word, the word kairos. And the word kairos is more than just time, like chronology on a watch. Like, oh, it's, isn't it about time for you to be done, Pastor? No, i got a few more minutes. This word time is like what it says at the end, the time has not fully come, where things are coming to a point, a, a designated, appointed time by God. How many know there's divine appointed times by God? In Habakkuk, if you want to turn there, you can. In Habakkuk chapter 2, it says this. The Lord is speaking. He says, write the vision down. Write the, vision, write the vision down, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. In Hebrew, this is the word moed. You say moed? We're learning Hebrew today. Hebrew and Greek. Moed would be like when a woman is pregnant. She's going to have a baby, especially in biblical times. Now, not so much today because today we schedule sometimes like, oh, we're going to go ahead and take the baby on Thursday, right? Put a Pitocin drip on, get this thing out. Um, but not in Bible times. The baby would come when the baby was going to come. The baby would come in its time, in its moed. You couldn't rush it. You couldn't delay it. When that water breaks, 
It's time to push. It says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It seems slow. Wait for it. It will surely come. It will, de- it will not delay. And I, I love this. It says, it hastens. It hur- the thing you're waiting for in God, it says it's hurrying. But it says to you, it seems slow. But it's not going to delay that's insane to me. Like sometimes we're like, God, won't you hurry and do the thing I need you to do? And that's the reason sometimes we walk slowly through a situation. We're like, I mean, sometimes it's wisdom to walk slowly through a situation, right? But to walk without confidence. The reason we sometimes we walk without confidence is because we're like, well, God, what's your timing? I don't know. Can I tell you something? God's timing will be when God's timing is. Right? You're, you're single and you're waiting on a relationship. Don't hurry. It'll happen in God's timing. You're waiting for that perfect job to come up. It'll happen in God's timing. I'm not saying you don't do anything. What I am saying is sometimes we lack the confidence because we don't trust God's timing. That's simple. That's it. We don't have confidence because we don't trust God's timing, but God is saying wait for it. Wait for it. I love how in Habakkuk he says, write it down. If God has spoken something to your heart, you should write it down and make it plain. There's things that God has said to me as pastor of Foreigner House of Prayer that I have written down and made plain so that I continually understand where God is taking me. Sometimes clearly writing it down, say, this is what I'm waiting for. This is what I'm looking for. When you write it down and make it plain, then when it happens, you know it. You don't have to wonder, hey, is this the thing I've been praying about over and over and over again? Is this God's timing? You don't have to worry about it because you've written it. You've been praying over it. And when it happens, you know it and you recognize it. This is the kairos. This is the timing of God. This is the same word used in Mark 1.15 where Jesus says, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It says the time has come. It's kairos. God is here among us. God of the universe has broken into time. He's no longer just some distant thing up in heaven, but he walks among us. Jesus walking on earth, he walks among us. God has broken into time, into kairos. He's at hand. Now what are you going to do? And this is what Jesus is saying here. It's not time. Not to go with the brothers. And it says that after his brothers had gone up from the feast, he also went up. Not publicly. And the reason it says up is because Jerusalem was up. But privately. And the Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading people astray. Yet, For the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly. So there's two things going on here. People are saying two different things. One group of people saying is what? He's a good man. What are the other people saying? He's leading people astray. They're both right. They're both wrong. What? Well, is Jesus good? Sure. Is he leading them, quote unquote, astray from the usual Jewish religion? I mean, from their perspective, I could see that. Yeah. So they're both kind of right. Now they're both completely wrong. You know how I know? Is Jesus just good? Is that all he's claiming to be is good? Is that what it said in John chapter 5? Jesus got up and said, hey, I'm good. And they wanted to kill him because he said he's good. Now, why do they want to kill him? Because he said he was God. Not just good, he's saying, I am God. So if you say, well, he's good, then you've missed it. He's more than good, he's God. And he's really leading people astray. No, what he's leading people to is the true path of righteousness, the true path of the Lord. And so both of these people are right, but they're both definitely wrong. No one truly understands who Jesus is yet. And it says in verse 14, at the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. And they marveled, saying, 
how is, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Some experts believe he, he probably had an accent. You know how people in different regions have different accents? He probably had an out-of-town accent, or maybe what we call redneck accent. And he's getting up teaching with this Nazareth accent, and I'm like, wait a minute. This, this guy's just a backwoods boy. How is it that he has this? How many know that you can go into all the Bible study and bio, all the Bible training in the world and still not be as effective as a simple, humble man who's been set on fire by the power of God? The most important ministry the most important thing you need for your ministry is the power of God to come rest on you. More than you need a Bible degree, more than you need hours and hours in Scripture, although those things are good and helpful. The most effective thing you can have is the power of God resting on you so you can declare with boldness the Word of God to the people around you. To have authority in the heavenly places. Not because of you're anything, but because you understand who God is. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but it's him who, set, who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether I'm teaching from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. There's an easy way to test whether Jesus is truly God in the flesh. There's an easy way to test his teaching. It's simple. Is the desire, the true desire of your heart, is the true desire of your heart to do the will of God? And if it's the true desire of the, your desire to do the will of God, then as you hear the words of the Lord, something in your heart, something in your spirit witnesses and says yes to what Jesus is saying. But some of us, when we read the word of God, we're like, no to that part. And that's because of an unsurrendered area of our life. We're not surrendered to what the Lord is saying. And that's the third thing. The reason some of us are so, we walk without confidence through life is because our heart isn't surrendered to the will of God. If you truly desire the will of God, I believe, and this, this is what my dad said, I was trying to decide which college to go to, and I was scared. I wouldn't make a decision. For weeks and weeks, I, was, I wrestled with the decision, and my dad said to me, Drew, don't you think God is good enough that if you truly picked a place thinking it was his will, but it was the wrong decision, don't you think he's good enough to get you back on track to where you should be? That's, that's this right here. Like, if you truly are trying to do the will of God, and you make the wrong decision, God is a good father. He sees the intentions of your heart. He will get you where you need to be. All you have to do is like ask yourself, am I truly desiring the will of God, or am I looking after Drew? And then you can more confidently make decisions and say, no, I truly believe with all my heart that I, I believe in the words of Jesus, I trust in his timing, and I am doing the will of God, so I will step forward confidently. And this is how Jesus lived his life. The last is this, he says in verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Robert, can you join me? That's the last litmus test right there of walking in confidence in things. Is whose glory are you seeking? Why are you, what is your motive? It's always good to question the own motive of your heart. Well, I trust myself. I don't know. The scripture says the heart is deceitful. Above all things, you can lie to yourself. That's why James, the brother of Jesus, right? He said to be 
doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Because it's really easy to lie to yourself. It's really easy to lie to yourself. It's really easy to mentally say, oh yeah, I agree with that, and then never do anything with it. The litmus test of belief is not mental assent, it's action. If you really believe something, you live it out, you walk it out, you do it. You do the thing. And that's how Jesus ends this. He ends this by saying, has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Because right in that moment, they couldn't see anyone trying to kill him. But we know from a couple chapters ago, they were trying to kill him, which would have been maybe a year, year and a half earlier. Jesus answered them, I did one work. Now he's explaining who he is. I did one work. You all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? The tradition is this. You have a baby boy. On the eighth day, he gets circumcised. That was their tradition. That's how you proved you were a Jew. But they're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So what if on the eighth day, it's time to get circumcised? They said, well, you circumcise anyway. So that means you're doing work on the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying is you guys are kind of hypocritical here, right? Like you're still circumcising on the Sabbath, and yet I healed a guy on the Sabbath, and you're coming at me. And then they remember who he is. Oh, yeah, you were the guy we were trying to kill. Wait a minute, you snuck in here, didn't you? You weren't with your normal group. You snuck in probably through Samaria. He probably went through Samaria to get there, where Jews don't go. Jesus ends this section by saying, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And that's, that's why we struggle, right? That's why we struggle to walk in confidence. Have you ever been in a, in a place of making a decision, trying to figure out the will of God in a situation you're walking through? And it looks like on the surface you should make this decision, but there's something in your heart telling you to make this one instead. You're like, yeah, but Lord, if I, it's very obvious to me and everyone else on the surface by appearances that I'm supposed to do this, but you still get this tugging in your heart that this is the thing that's supposed to happen. What do you do? How do you have any confidence? And I would say this, believe the words of Jesus. Trust in his timing. Do his will, not yours. And ask yourself, whose glory am I seeking? Am I seeking this because it's, it's my glory? Which thing brings more glory to the kingdom of God? Which brings more glory to Jesus Christ? And then we can confidently make those decisions. It still might take some faith. Anytime we're operating outside of the realm of appearances, it takes faith. It's good to exercise faith. Will you stand with me? If you bow your heads, just don't distract someone for just a second. 
I'm going to start by asking this question. Have you trusted in Jesus? We talked earlier about doing his will, but the question is, have you trusted in Jesus? See, Jesus came and lived a perfect life here on earth. The Bible says he was tempted in every way we are. Man, I've had some pretty intense temptations in my life. And yet Jesus never gave in. He never sinned. He was perfect in all ways. And the scripture tells us that because of our sin, we deserve death. But Jesus never sinned. So he never deserved death. And yet when Jesus went to the cross, what he did was die in our place. He died because we're jacked up and we're screwed up and we make the wrong decisions and we call them mistakes, but the reality is sometimes we do it on purpose. So when Jesus hung on that cross, he took God's punishment for sin on himself. Not so that we could be awesome, but so that we could be forgiven. And Jesus trades, the scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could be righteous. We could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So we can stand before God forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. This is the most important thing I'll say this morning is that Jesus, after three days, he rose from the dead proving that he was God in the flesh. He's victorious over death. And this morning, if you'll say yes to Jesus, the scripture says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if this morning you're saying, that's me, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. I need to be forgiven of my sins. Here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to come up and I'd like to I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to talk with you. But for the rest of us in the room, maybe you have made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. But you say, Pastor, I've, I've been in that place. Or maybe I'm in that place where I'm in the middle of trying to make decisions and it's been, it's been difficult. I've lacked the confidence. We'd, we'd like to pray for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have our leaders and and elders come and we'd like to just agree with you in prayer to discern the will of God for you we we might not have a real quick thus saith the Lord you're supposed to take that job we probably won't have that but what we will have is the word of God to guide us some of us the, the Lord can make our lives easier with a thus saith the Lord every day, right? Thus said, Lord, do this, do that. No. The Lord wants us to exercise trust in Him. He's trying to grow us and lead us and guide us so that we hear His voice through His Word and through prayer. He wants you to trust Him because He wants to trust you. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask if you need to receive Jesus, Savior, Lord, to come. If you need help in making some decisions in your life, come. At the same time, our leaders will also come. Father, we thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. God, guide us over these next few moments as we minister to those. And if it's not you, if you could just take a moment while you're standing there just to pray, pray for these who are coming up this morning with us in prayer.
me a favor real quick. You turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you, is there anything you need to go up there and pray about? And if they say yes, just say, oh, I'll go with you. Some people want to, they want to, they just feel something. Just, hey, is there anything you need to go pray about? I'll go with you. And it's, you guys come on up together. If I could get the worship team to join me for just a second. Yeah, join me on the stage. Yeah, sorry. Join. Yes, I'm starting up a, a posse. Please join me. to write the vision make it plain so he may run who reads it for the still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay I believe it's in Galatians 6 where it says we will reap in due season if we don't give up if we don't faint so stay faithful I think that's one of the biggest cries in my heart. Just be faithful, be faithful, be faithful, be faithful. 
be faithful. I'm going to have the worship team lead us in just one last song. And as they, they begin, um, they're actually just going to worship us out. So as soon as they start playing, you can, you can be dismissed. But um, I don't remember which one of those couple of songs at the beginning I like, but whatever you guys are, are, are feeling, I'm just going to pray for us that God would keep us and guide us this week. Father God, we trust your word. Your word is true. God, I pray that this season of abiding, would you just stretch your hands out like you're receiving a gift, like the Lord's giving you something right now? Lord, I just bless this congregation. I bless their time in the word that it would be rich, that the Holy Spirit would come and meet them in their place of abiding that the alive and active word of God would pierce their hearts this week as they read it. God, I pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, that you would fill them with boldness to declare Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray through this congregation that many would come to know you as Savior and Lord, that the sick would be healed. Lord God, that this, their service to one another it would be so great that the community sees Jesus in it and their service to the community will be that of Jesus Christ serving us God let us let us surrender to you God we thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us God we pray your will be done your kingdom come your will be done in Jesus name Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Amen.